Well, if you've got your copy of God's Word, if you'll take it, and you'll turn to the book of Acts. We're going to start in the book of Acts, chapter 11, while they're taking a seat. Uh, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your many blessings. Lord, we thank you that we can worship you today. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that uh, you have laid out things so simply for us. And Lord, we thank you for the standard that you've given us. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to uh, grow, to become closer followers of you. And Lord, I pray that as we uh, lead into this series that we're starting, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have eyes to see. I pray that we would be able to uh, observe things in your word that are life-changing. I pray that we'd apply them to our lives. Lord, I pray that we would lead lives that uh, glorify you better. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Acts. We're going to start in chapter 11. Uh, but I want to lay out for you kind of the plan for the next few weeks. Uh, we're going to start a series of sermons called uh, Christian. Uh, the word Christian is a uh, is a loaded label. It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And the interesting thing is, is that if uh, we were to split you guys up into groups of 10, 15 or so, and we were to ask you to come up with a definition for what is a Christian, uh, most people in the group would come up with something different. Uh, and so just to kind of show you what I'm talking about, we'll do a little bit of word association. If I were to ask you what an American is, you would know right off the bat what an American is, right? Yeah, give me a little. This is yes. Okay, good. All right. If I were to ask you what a Canadian is, you would be pretty confident you would all come up with what a Canadian is. If I were to put you in groups and ask you what a comedian is, all of you would know exactly what a comedian is, right? And if you were to see a comedian and he wasn't funny, you would all recognize that's not a comedian, right? But then we have this term Christian, right? And if I was to ask you all if you knew what a Christian was, you could come up with a lot of different things that fall under the name Christian. And so what this series is going to do is we're going to look biblically. We're going to see where did this word come from? Uh, How do you go about being one? Do you even want to be one? And so if I were to ask you, are you a Christian? Many of you would say yes. Some of you may say no. Some of you may say yes, but, but I'm not like X, Y, or Z. And so you may qualify what you're talking about when you say that you're a Christian. Uh, Some of you may have been told that you were a Christian. Someone may have come to you and said, listen, uh, you were baptized and that's when you were a Christian. You may remember a time when you were baptized and that may be what you think it took for you to become a Christian. Some of you may come from denominations where you went through a class and then you became a Christian. Uh, the, the way I was brought up is that I was taught that you prayed a prayer and then you were a Christian. You with me? Everybody hanging on? Like there's all these different thoughts out there. Some of you may come from a uh, Catholic background and you believe that when someone says, are you a Christian? Or when somebody talks about the church, you're like, yes, that is us and we are the church. Some of you may come from other Protestant backgrounds that uh, that we all thought maybe that we were the right brand of Christian and everybody else was just a failed attempt at being a Christian. You with me? You know what I'm talking about? That's why we have so many of these different denominations because people wanted to be followers of Christ, but they didn't... They, they wanted to distance themselves from whatever that was. And so we live in an age where some people are turned off to Christ because of Christians. And people do all sorts of negative things in the name of Christian. And so what uh, what we want to do 
is we want to talk about where this come from, what is it, and, and give maybe a good definition for what a Christian is. There are some people, maybe not you, but there are some people that you may want to give this message to that may be turned off by Christians that have a thought about Christians. Uh, we can often be branded in society. If you were to watch, uh, uh, maybe, I don't even want to give, give names of TV channels because you may like them, but uh, sometimes we as Christians get branded as homophobic moralist, judgmentalist, that we dislike certain groups or certain things. And so sometimes we get branded as we secretly relish that we're going to heaven and that everyone else is going to hell. Sometimes we're portrayed as that. And so you see all of this all over the news and all these people are doing things in the name of Christ. And the good news is, is that none of what I just described to you is in the Bible is what a Christian is. Okay. The, the word Christian or any derivative of the word Christian only shows up three times in the whole Bible. Can you believe that? Three times. So some of you are like, you know what? I'm going to call my real preacher and I'm going to ask him this question. Or some of you are going to go home and you're going to go, no way. I've been told that I'm supposed to be a Christian my whole life. It's got to be in there more than three times. And so the reality is what we call ourselves and the standard that we hold ourselves to only shows up three times. And each of those three times, believe it or not, it's used negatively. Because what you're going to find, I hope, as we open up our Bible, is that when the word Christian was used, it was never what the followers of Christ called themselves. It was always what outsiders called followers of Christ. And so it was a label. It was a label put on the followers of Christ so that they knew what to call them. And so if you'll take your copy of the New Testament and you'll go to the book of Acts chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 19. And so if you're not familiar, the book of Acts is an ancient manuscript that was written by eyewitnesses to follow the growth of the church. And so Christ has come to the earth. He's died on the cross for people's sins. And then he's raised from the dead. And eyewitnesses are taking this gospel out to the ends of the earth. Right? So everybody who saw Christ come to earth, they put their faith in him. They saw him raised from the dead. They went out telling everybody. And so here you have, uh, in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, the story picks up. And it says, so then... There were those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen, made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews alone. And so what has happened is that uh, the whole life of Christ has taken place. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories contained in there, they're all over. And now everyone is left in Jerusalem and Israel. And they're staying there. Right? Jesus gave the Great Commission to go to the whole world and proclaim this gospel and stay there. Then, a man named Stephen gets up, gives a sermon, and they kill him. And great persecution breaks out after Stephen's death. And so, when persecution comes in, the Christians scatter and they go to all three of these places. Then it says in verse 20, But there were some of the men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And so Antioch is a long ways away from Israel where these people live, and they've gone and they're proclaiming the gospel up there, right? These are displaced people who are followers of Christ, and they're out, and now they're living in Antioch, and they're proclaiming the name of Christ, and people are getting saved. They're putting their faith in Christ, and they're, they're, they're growing. 
And so then it says, verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. And so Jerusalem is where all the hot shots are, right? That's where the apostles are. That's where the whole gang, the uh, the, the 12 guys are. They get wind that, that the Lord is doing a great thing off in Antioch. So they get together, and they say, okay, we're going to send Barnabas out to Antioch. And we're going to get him to see what's going on. And so Barnabas goes out to Antioch. And then it says, then when he arrived, this is verse 23, then when Barnabas arrived in Antioch, he witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And so these people keep getting saved. And so the church in Antioch is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. There's more believers, more believers, more believers. And so he needs help. So it says then in verse 25 that he left for Tarsus. Tarsus is where Paul was. So he left for Tarsus to find Saul, who would later be called Paul. Verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So he goes and gets help. Barnabas goes and gets Paul, says, listen, man, God's doing a crazy work amongst people. People are getting saved left and right. I need your help in in discipling them and helping them grow. And so for an entire year, they met with the church and they taught considerable numbers And the disciples, we'll come back to that later, were first called Christians in Antioch. And so the thing about this is that those people who were getting saved didn't call themselves Christians. It was in Antioch where the people of Antioch who were not followers of Christ, they looked in at whatever that was. Uh, Originally, if you look in the book of Acts, it was called the way. They were followers of the way. These were the first followers of Christ. It's what they called themselves. And so they looked at those people who were Christ followers and they went... They're Christians. That's what they are. Those people are Christians. And so outsiders looked into what was going on and they said, those people are Christians. And so it was a label that was given to them. And one of the reasons we know this is because uh, there's a guy named, boy, his name just left me. That's why he writes stuff down. There's a guy named Tacitus, right? He's a Roman historian. He, he lived in the late uh, first century. And he mainly wrote about four Roman emperors. And there's a Roman emperor that you're all familiar with that doesn't really show up in the scriptures. His name is Nero. You guys have heard of Nero? All of your Sunday school literature, as you've been going to Sunday school, has talked to you about Nero. And the only reason we know about Nero is from this guy named Tacitus. And so what's going on in Nero's day is that Nero's the emperor of Rome, and he looks out at Rome and wants to restart Rome, right? He wants to redo it, wants to life to the city. And so he does what any good ruler does. He sets the whole place on fire. He says, that's how we're going to start Rome over. If you ever uh, play trivia games, oftentimes they'll ask you questions like, what do Rome and Chicago have in common? The answer is that they were burned by fire. And Nero's the one who set Rome on fire. And so you can guess that this doesn't go over very well, right? If somebody set the whole town of Windsor on fire, this would not be a very popular person. And so Nero does what any good leader does. He fastens the guilt on another group of people. And who does he blame for burning Rome? The Christians. Now, do you know how you know that? You know that because Tacitus wrote it down in late first century. And so this is what he said. This is the Roman historian Tacitus. And he writes this of Emperor Nero. He says, consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most inquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. And so Tacitus, in his writing, he says that these people were called Christians by the populace. And so it was the people who called the followers of Christ Christians first. This isn't a 
a, a good name. This isn't like, you're beautiful, you're this, you're that. This is, ugh, you're Christian. And so this is where we get it from. And so what I want you to see is that the, the followers of Christ never called themselves Christians. They called themselves something else. And so if you were to walk up to Peter, James, John, any of those guys and say, hey, are you a Christian? They would go, no, we're something different. And right here at the end of verse 26 in Acts chapter 11, it says that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And so you find that if they were to refer to themselves, they would refer to themselves as disciples. Now, when you go home and you open this book and you read the New Testament, you're going to find that what I just told you is haunting, right? It's horrible. It's probably one of the worst things that you've learned all year for the new year. And you know why? Because if you want to call yourself a disciple of Christ, you have to do it the way that Jesus says it, right? The word disciple is defined in Scripture. Like you open your Bible and you find what a disciple of Christ looks like. And it is painfully obvious. And Jesus gives very good description of what a disciple looks like. You open your Bible and say, what does a Christian look like? You can, you can come up with anything. You can define Christian any way you want to. You can redefine Christian any way you want to. You can misdefine Christian. And you can come up with different brands of Christianity. But when you lock into the word disciple you find that Jesus describes it to a T. And it is scary sometimes. And so what I want you to do is I want you to go over to the book of John. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at a time in Jesus' life where Jesus is at the end of his life. He's just finished the Passover. We're in John chapter 13. And Jesus is going to give a description to his disciples. And what he's going to do is he's going to give them a bottom line. He's going to say, if you want to be my disciples, this is what it takes. And so look at John chapter 13. Jesus is, is in the midst of the Passover meal. Judas has already left to betray Jesus. And so Jesus says in chapter 13 of John, verse 33, he says, little children, I'm with you a little while longer. Guys, I'm only going to be here a little longer. So he's calling a huddle. Guys, come here. I'm only going to be around a little longer. I need to give you some information before I go. If you knew that you were leaving, you would get the family together and you would give them some last orders. So little children, I'm with you a little longer. Huddle up. There was 12 of us. Now there's 11. Before there's only 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. We, I've got to give you this information. This is important. Little children, I'm with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. And so one of the 11 left disciples named Peter, at this point, he kind of perks up. He says, Jesus, where are you going? Where are you going? What do you mean we can't go with you? We want to go with you. We want to go with you. Wherever you're going, we're going. Wherever it is. I don't care where it is. We want to go with you. And so, if you ever had a dog that whenever you picked up a ball or whenever you picked up the dog's toy, all the dog could do was focus on exactly what you had in your hand? Any of you guys ever had or seen a dog like that? You ever, and many of you might have a dog where you ask the dog, do you want to go for a ride? And then, as soon as you hear the word ride, the dog is locked in. And, and the only thing you can do is go for a ride in order for the dog to be satisfied. And so, Jesus has said, I'm leaving, you can't come with me. And Peter is... He's on the lookout. What do you mean he can't go with you? I'm your follower. And so here we have in verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you. 
This is verse 34. A new commandment I give to you. This word new, it could mean like you're thinking of new. Something that you've seen for the first time. It could mean unusual. It could mean different. So he says, a new command I give to you. Listen up. That you love one another. And John probably thinks, Jesus, we have heard you say love one another all the time. We've read the Old Testament. We get it. We're supposed to love one another. This is not new. This is old stuff. With me? Then he says this. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And so Jesus is telling his disciples that they need to love one another as he has loved them. Now, at this point, they would probably be thinking in their mind, how has Jesus loved us? Jesus may say, hey, Matthew, remember what happened when we first met? Matthew would say, yeah, I remember when we first met. Jesus would say, yeah, you were a tax collector. If you remember anything about the scriptures, uh, they often use the terminology sinners and tax collectors to describe a group of people that are undesirable. And so this group of tax collectors is so bad, they're such traitors that the people don't even want to associate the tax collectors with sinners. You with me? That's how, that's how much of a distaste they had for tax collectors. And so they would say, yeah, Matthew, remember, you were a tax collector when we found you. And what did I tell you, Matthew? Well, you said, follow me. Yeah, and then what did we do after you followed me? Where did I take you guys, disciples, after we told Matthew to follow us? We went to Matthew's house. Yeah, who was at Matthew's house? There was a bunch of other sinners and tax collectors at Matthew's house. As a matter of fact, Jesus, all the people that our mother told us not to hang out with, they were at that house and you took us there. And Jesus would say, yeah, and how did I treat Matthew? You loved him. So, gang, I want you to treat each other. I want you to love each other the same way I loved Matthew. And then you might remember uh, one of the disciples, Nathaniel. And Jesus would say, hey, you guys don't even know about this one, but Nathaniel, how did I treat you when I first found you? And Nathaniel would go, hmm, I I remember. You guys don't remember this, but I sent Nathaniel's brother after him, found Nathaniel under a tree, and his brother came to him and said, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. And Nathaniel said, Uh, No, actually, the brother said, we found the Messiah. He's come from Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Remember? That's the first thing you said about me. Remember? You dissed my whole family. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? My hometown, my whole crowd, everything that I grew up knowing, you shut down. And what did I do? I loved you anyways. And I called you to be one of my followers. And so, gang, what I want you to do I want you guys to love each other as I have loved you. And this is why, verse 35, he says, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so he says, gang, I have loved you in such a way. I've loved you in such a way that if you will just love each other the same way that I loved you, the world will know that you're my disciples. You won't have to say or do anything. Just love each other the way that I loved you and the world will know that you're my disciples. He gives them, and this is huge. This is the litmus test for being a disciple of Christ. And so you may say, well, you don't know how great my pastor preaches. He's got to be a, he's got to be a follower of Christ. Does he love people? Well, no, he doesn't really love people. Not a disciple. Preacher, 
You ought to hear my Sunday school teacher. They're the best Sunday school teacher you've ever heard. I've never heard anybody teach Sunday school the way that they teach Sunday school. Do they love others? Man, they're a great Sunday school teacher. Doesn't matter. Miss Test is, do you have love for one another? Preacher, I've been going to church. I've been going to this church every day of my life for longer than you've been born. Doesn't matter. Jesus says, They'll know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And you go on and on and on down the list. Preacher, you don't know how much money I've given to this church. There were times where we might not have been able to keep the lights on and my family kept the lights on. But the question here is, do you have love for one another? And so Jesus just totally changes the game with this sentence. And then you have Simon Peter in verse 36. Listen to what Simon Peter says. This is profound. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? So Jesus has just said, they'll know you're my disciples if you love one another. And Peter's still looking at the sticker, looking at the ball. And he's like, man, where are you going? Wherever you go, Lord, I'm going. Lord, I'm your disciple. Wherever you say go, I'm going. Whatever you say do, I'm doing. It doesn't matter. I want to be with you. I'm your disciple. And he says, love one another. And Peter says, man, where are you going? You guys get how ridiculous this is? Give me a little head nod. Okay, good. You're still awake. And then Jesus tells him, he says, Peter, I don't want you to go with me. You can't go with me. And he says, no, I want to go with you. I want to be with you. Jesus tells him, listen, Peter, in just a matter of a few hours, you're going to deny me to a middle school girl. No, I'd never do that. I'd never do that. And Jesus says, Peter, I I want you to do something bigger than follow me. I want you to do something bigger than dying with me. I want you to do something bigger than all of those things that you just told me that you're going to do. What's that, Jesus? I want you to love these guys. I want you to love these guys for the rest of your life. And I want you to love these guys in such a way that the world looks on. And because of the ridiculous way that you love them, everyone knows that you're my followers. Being a pastor, I get to hear from all sorts of different people. Uh, Chances are, if you visited this church, uh, I've spoken with you and I've asked you how your visit went. And the reason that I want to get in touch with people who visit our church and ask them how our visit went is because I hear horror stories from people who visit churches because sometimes visiting churches can be the most miserable experience in all the world. And do you know why? Because oftentimes the Christians who make up churches are evil people and they're mean. That's funny. It's horrible. You visit a church somewhere and you sit in somebody else's seat. And then you ask yourself if this is an organization who's known by their love for other people. Like I'm trying not to look at you guys who are looking at other people. I'm really trying to just stay laser focused and not even pay attention to who you're looking at. But Jesus says, I'm not asking you to die for me. I'm not asking you to do all of those big things that you want to do for me. But if you want to be my disciple... This is the bottom line. You've got to love one another. And so Peter wants to know where he's going. And and guys, I just want to think for a second. I just want us to think, what would the world look like if we loved one another? What would the world look like 
if just people who named the name of Christ loved each other in such a way that the rest of the world didn't understand. And so there may be a group of people right here in this little area that love Christ so much that outsiders looking in think, man, I'm drawn to that group. Like, they don't condemn me for the things I'm doing. They love me and I want to be a part of what they're doing because of the way that they love one another. One of those Christians, or excuse me, one of those followers of Christ, see how easy it is, see how we've all done this? One of those people, one of those disciples works for me. And when he or she messes up, I don't have to catch them messing up. You know why? Because they come to me and they tell me that they've messed up and they want to make it right. I'm not one of them, but I work for one of them. And do you know what it is about them? When I go to work, I feel like they love me. I feel like they care about me. I see those, those people that follow Christ. And I see them following Christ even when it costs them financially. Even when things come up that go wrong, they make it right even when it costs them drastically. They... They sacrificially love each other and they care about each other more than it seems like anything else. Isn't that a desirable group? Isn't that so much better than, hmm, those people are carrying hate signs and don't want you to sit in their seat. Now I'm good. I'm good. I'll just go do my thing over here. You see how this is totally different. This is game changing. You see, these disciples... At the end of the book of Acts, there's a Roman ruler who's got Paul on trial. And he says that these are the men who turn the world upside down. These 12 disciples and Paul are credited with turning the whole Roman Empire upside down. Why? Did they carry swords? Did they carry guns? All sorts of weapons? No. Do you know what they did that changed the whole world? They loved each other. They loved each other. In a way that the world didn't know what to do with it. I'm going to tell you something interesting about love. So uh, you guys know that I watched um, I watched that song with all the singers. You know the one I'm talking about? The Voice. Thanks. I watched The Voice the other day for the first time ever and I told you about it. I watched something else for the first time the other day too. I watched a little bit of the People's Choice Awards. I was like, I'm dying to know what the people like. I was better off not knowing. And so, anyways... I'm watching the People's Choice Awards, and all of you guys know of this guy named Vin Diesel, right? Really, uh, really absolutely muscular, ripped to shreds guy. Plays a hardcore guy in all of the movies. He's in all of the Fast and Furious movies, if you've ever seen them. Uh, I saw like the first one or two, and I think they're now up at like seven or eight or nine. Like, come on, guys. Anyways, though, Vin Diesel, rock solid, man's man, standing on stage, just him and a microphone. Gets the award. And he begins to talk about one of his best friends who was one of his co-stars dying. Right? The, 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 um, uh, the, the tall, skinny, white guy who was the other actor in Fast and the Furious. He dies. Don't remember his name. He was good friends with Paul. Paul Walker dies. And Vin Diesel's ripped to shreds about it. It's one of his good friends. And do you know what this guy, this man's man, stands in front of a microphone? And do you know what he credits with the whole group of people being able to continue on and make more good movies that the people like? He says, love got us through. 
At that point, I almost fell out of the lazy boy. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Here's this man's man talking about how you get through something like that. And he says, the amount of love on our set is the only way that we got through. And there was person after person after person in Hollywood that stood at the microphone and talked about love being the thing that was needed to get through different, different areas. What if when the world was looking for love, they looked to Jesus' disciples for love? This is Sanctity of Life Sunday, okay? This is uh, generally a time where uh, churches and pulpits uh, preach about things like abortion and forgiveness and things like that. What if unwed mothers or any woman with an unwanted pregnancy, what if they knew without a shadow of a doubt that when they were in their deepest, darkest moment, maybe even a woman who had already had an abortion, what about these women when they need to find love somewhere? What if the first thing that they thought of was a Christian that they knew? Christian boss, a Christian co-worker, or a church, for crying out loud, full of people that would love them and not condemn them and judge them. What if that was us? What if that's how the world knew that we were followers of Christ, because of the way that we loved others? And so you, you go on from here, and you could, you could talk forever and ever about what love should look like in our life, but I want to challenge you that this week, I want you to try something. I want you to love the people around you in a ridiculous way that it makes everybody else around you question why you're doing the things that you're doing. And you go, preacher, that is really difficult. I want you to start with your family. I want you to love your family in ways that nobody else is going to understand. And you say, preacher, you don't know my wife. She's a mess. And you say, preacher, you don't know my husband. He's a wreck. Preacher, my parents haven't had an original idea in at least 30 or 40 years. Preacher, my teenagers are teenagers. You don't understand. Jesus is pouring his life out, or pouring his heart out at the end of his life. Where I'm going, you can't come. But listen, while I'm gone, I want you to love each other. Peter, you getting that? Man, where'd you say you were going? I want to go too. Peter, excuse me, Jesus is surrounded by people who don't get it. But he doesn't use that as an excuse not to love them. He still loves them. And so I want us to love the people around us in ridiculous ways this week. And what I'm afraid of is that you're going to go home this week, you're going to try it a couple times, and you're going to come back and you're going to go, Preacher, my wife is still a mess. Like, I've been working, I've been loving this girl for seven days, and she is still messed up. And I'm afraid that you might want to come back and say, Pastor, my husband is a totally different person because I've been loving him. And I want you to know that none of that is the reason why we're doing this. Like, we're not after this as a means to an end. Like, we're not doing this to change the people around us. We're doing this because Jesus said that people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And so we're doing this because loving those around us in ridiculous ways is following Jesus. And that's why we're doing it. And that's why we want to love people. And so, are we disciples... Or are we just Christians? Do we want to hide behind a label that we can define? Or do we want to jump in with both feet and do our best 
to be exactly what Jesus described. And so I'm going to tell you one of the differences between being Christian and being a disciple. A Christian can go online. They can go on Google. They can go wherever they want. They can get advice from millions of people. They can ask around all of their friends. They can get advice from everybody. And then they can pray about it, and uh, they can pick whichever thing they think is the best, right? It's a Christian. A disciple is someone who is a follower of someone. A disciple is someone who's modeling their life after a particular person. And when you're a disciple of someone, you go to that person, and when you ask them a question, it doesn't matter what the question is, your answer is already yes. When you go to that person and you ask them if you're their disciple and you go to that person, no matter what you say, no matter what they say to you, your answer is always yes. Whatever you say, that's what I'm doing. That's what a disciple is. That's the difference between being a disciple and being a Christian. And so, as we go throughout this week, I want to challenge you. A very simple challenge. Love each other. If we got this right, if we got this one thing right of loving each other, and then we let that flow out and we loved other people too. And so, if when you were in your family and you were loving your family, and you went to work, and you loved the people that you worked with, and you loved the rest of the people in the world too, we could shut down every other extracurricular church thing we do. And then you would have what seemed to be what some people describe as a New Testament church. Not full of programs, not full of different groups that meet. There's a group of people that met together to study the Word and to pray, and then they went out into the world and they loved people. And it was that love that drew people in. And so I want to go to the Lord in prayer. And maybe you're here and you've thought, I'm not really on board with that whole Christian thing. I've met a lot of Christians. I've run across a lot of Christians. And maybe we cannot redefine what a Christian is for you. But maybe you want to be a disciple. And you want to follow Christ. And so what I hope is that the world, the word Christian... And what you've seen about it in the past isn't a stumbling block for you. And so I would hate for you to be here and miss Christ just because of the actions of someone who called himself a Christian. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. And if you've never put your faith in Christ, I want to invite you to do that. Uh, If you want to put feet to your prayers and you want to love people, but the people you're surrounded with are unstable and difficult to love and you know that you will need the Lord's help in doing it, come pray. And listen, just because you come pray doesn't mean that you're surrounded by unstable people, okay? I know that some of you think that you may be the only stable people that you know, and so just because you come forward and pray doesn't mean that. But listen, loving people is not easy. Jesus loved people. They crucified him. And so what I'm asking you to do is not going to be an easy task. But it's a task that can turn the world upside down. And it can absolutely revolutionize our church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that we have the ability to love through the great love that he poured out for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us as your disciples. I pray that you would help us to lock into this word disciple as we open our New Testament. And Lord, I pray that we would begin to wrap our lives around 
the description you give of your followers. Lord, I pray that we would never try to define our own religion, but that we would jump on board with the things that you've done and that you're doing. And Lord, lastly, if there's anyone here who's never put their faith in you, who's never seen or felt what it's like to be loved by you, I pray that today would be the day they do it. Lord, I pray for all of us here that you would give us the power to love those people around us in such a way that it perplexes the rest of the world. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you would stand with us for our hymn of invitation. Well, it was a joy to worship with you all today. I uh, pray that you'll give some, uh, a lot of thought, and a lot of prayer into the things we talked about this morning. I think it's a, a worthy endeavor for you to venture out on. And uh, it'd be easy if uh, all of us jump in and, and do it together. And so uh, before you leave, there's an insert in your bulletin uh, for you to update any contact information that you may have with our church. Uh, you don't have to be one of our church members uh, to fill it out and drop it in the plate. Uh, we're just going to put you onto an email list. We're not going to harass you or anything like that. You've even got a way that you can opt out of getting the emails uh, if you don't want to stay up to date with uh, the things that we're doing. And there's no guilt or pressure involved if you uh, decide to get off. It'll actually be anonymous. And so I want to encourage you to fill that out for us. Um, I'm going to ask Dr. Tarkington if you would close us in prayer.